Hi there, I'm Janine, and you're listening to KUCI 88.9 FM in Irvine, and this is Get the Funk Out. On today's show, I'm in conversation with Anne Lamott, New York Times bestselling author, and we're going to talk about her latest book, Almost Everything, Notes on Hope. Here's what Gloria Steinem has said recently about her latest book. Every writer, truth seeker, parent, and activist I know is in love with one or more books by Anne Lamott. She writes as naturally as she breathes. She explores the mysterious paths and detours of life itself, and she reports back to make the way ahead easier for all of us. It's my pleasure to welcome to this week's show author Anne Lamont. Hi, Anne. Welcome to the show. Thank you so much. So I want to just tell you that I saw you and Eve Ensler at UCLA. Uh, it was phenomenal. And, Thank you. Oh, it, was, it was so powerful and emotional and so when I saw that you had written this latest book and my show is called Get the Funk Out and I'm fascinated with how you know we go through these awful times and how we we find hope uh, in tumultuous times Uh, what inspired you to write this book well I was really inspired by how um, doomed and hopeless people around me felt a year and a half ago and how um, people were losing their faith in life and in goodness and in community, and um, and I, I, I just wanted to remind people that everything is all kind of mixed up again, mixed up all the time. That goodness and and defeat and cataclysm and grace and and healing are all mixed together, but that we just couldn't let ourselves be defeated by it, that um, that there's so much to be hopeful about, that there's so much tenderness and grace and mixed in with these catastrophes, like in, in uh, Pittsburgh, how that very night, and I think ever since the young people have um, mobilized these rallies where everyone, no matter how grief-struck or exhausted by it all show up with candles and add a little light and warmth to yes. these really scary times. So I want to try, yeah. I have a nine-year-old grandson who lives here and a 15-year-old niece who lives nearby, and I just, I wanted to help them know what some of the tools are that, all, that always help me. See, I find that very powerful because I have kids too, um, and my 16-year-old in particular you know, she sees the horrors of what's going on in, you know, various dimensions. And I feel like we, if we get our faces out of our phones and we look up and we look at our people, I mean, the kindness, as you said, that has come out after what happened in Pittsburgh is tremendous. Mm-hmm. You know? Well, um, yeah, I always loved, I'm, I'm probably a broken record, but I always loved what Mr. Rogers' his mother said to him when he was little and, and terrible things would happen, which they always will, they always have and they always will, um, was look to the helpers. And if I remember to look to the helpers, to the people who show up in, in the aftermath of a shooting or a hurricane, my hope is restored every time, every time. It's so beautiful and, and inspiring. Yes. You know, to watch exhausted people say, no, I'm not giving up. I'm not giving up on goodness and decency. Right. You know, do you want to ride to the march? Can I take you to the poll on election day? Do you need to ride? Do you know anyone who does? 
and um, and that we just don't we just you know there's a whole chapter in this book um, almost everything called um, humans 101 don't let them get you to hate them and um, and and I realized one of the reasons that I felt inspired to write this book was that I was letting them get get me to hate them you know I was I was as consumed with hate and um, and judgment and this victimized self-righteousness and I just felt like um, I was part of the problem and then I'm still going to rise up and I'm still yes. going to do everything I can to try to elect people who take climate science seriously and because otherwise my my nine-year-old grandchild and my 29-year-old son the UN science, uh, climate report said that 10 to 15 years 20 at the most there will be cataclysmic um, oh. climate you know the awesome. oceans rising and the, the heat rising and so yes. I will vote to get people who believe in that right exactly <laughs> um, and I will register voters I was raised to register voters I come by this honestly yes absolutely what what has been your feeling over the years obviously you've written a lot of books of um, the feedback you've gotten the impressions you've made on people oh people you know sometimes I was just thinking about the Deep South, where I was on a lot of radio stations over the years, but not this time. I mean, actually I was, but I wasn't on live radio programs. And um, there would always be a certain kind of Christian who would call and say with a very, very sweet Southern accent that I was going to rot in hell for all eternity. What? And, um, yeah, <laughs> and um, because I don't believe what they believe or read the same translation, mm. um, That's so, um, but mostly pe people just love it if you'll tell them a little truth or if you'll remind them uh, that we're all in the same boat and that some days are just too long and the bad things will happen and wonderful things will happen and that, you know, there's a ch chapter that all truth is paradox. Yes. Um, and that no matter how awful something seems, that there will be beauty and, and light and transformation in it. It might not be today right after lunch, you know, but right. and no matter how wonderful and perfect and how you've got all your ducks in a row, you know, buckle up because you were almost certainly going to step on the cosmic banana peel. It's just the nature of life. Yes. Uh, there were a couple of things I marked in the book. I love the chapter Humans 101. You say, almost everyone is screwed up, broken, clingy, scared, and yet designed for joy. Mm-hmm. Well, I really believe that to be true. I mean, I can't, would never, ever, ever minimize the extreme uh, burden of severe depression, and we have that in my family. It's everywhere, mm -hmm. and yet um, I also see people coming back from that. I see people having long patches where something's working and where people are restored to to lives of um, where they feel okay again, mm -hmm. and then maybe because of the nature of the disease, they get whacked, and then then I look to the helpers. I look to the people that are there for them, that are listening or driving or helping them um, get their medication or their therapy back on track. So I do think that, except for those who really can't be... Um, saved, quote-unquote, from severe clinical depression that were designed for joy. But I think it's really, I think joy can be kind of scary because we were raised to 
um, work harder, do better, achieve more, um, don't, you know, don't get full of yourself. And, and what I always tell people is something a friend of mine said is, what a great title from a book, you know, on how far we've come, which is full of myself. <laughs> but it's, yeah. I think it's um, scary to uh, feel too happy because you feel like, you know, the jig is, gonna, is almost certainly up. Yes. Because it so often was in childhood, so right, yeah. I feel like also a writer. You know, writing, as you know, it's so tough. And you were talking yeah. here how you uh, telling your um, your nine year old grandson's class, like, you know, how to write, and he said that was terrible. <laughs> yeah, I did. I told him everything I I wrote about in Bird by Bird, but I geared it all for five year olds and then six year olds and. You know, and they, they all sort of took me seriously and, and um, because one of the kids had spread the rumor that I owned the local library. <laughs> so um, <laughs> so I did. I worked with them for like 25 minutes, and they all seemed to enjoy it. And then my grandson came up and said, Nana, that was terrible. <laughs> I couldn't believe it. He said, you told us you were going to teach us how to write a book, but you only taught us how to write a page. And I said, honey, that's all I can teach anyone. Exactly. That's where it starts. Yeah. For people that... It starts with a passage. You know, it starts with a paragraph. Yes. What is your process like for writing? Is it different every time? I mean, do you think a a lot about stuff before you delve into, you know, jumping on your computer? I am thinking about it kind of all the time. Um, Henry James had that great line that um, a writer is someone on whom nothing is lost. Mm. And I just was raised this way, that if you want to be a writer, you pay attention and you get it down. A lot of us were taught that um, if it's important, you'll remember it, you know. And it was a crock then. I was just the same as I am now. Mm -hmm. I was spaced out. I was an absent-minded professor. I was um, was always thinking about life. I was thinking about what book I was in the middle of Pippi Longstockings or Wrinkle in Time or Little Women. I was just always kind of thoughtful and spaced out. And yeah. um, But my dad taught me that if if it's important, you actually write it down. Yeah. And, um, and so I do. And so I've got a lot of notes around, and I never know for sure what they're going to amount to, but um, I take the action, which is writing it down, and then the insight follows, which is I am so glad I can remember that I'm so glad I took a mental picture of the exact color of that woman's hair or sweater or shoes or you know yes so but I I do I do take the action which is to scribble things down I travel with a notebook a lot and it took the passing of my dad a couple years ago for me to really get me to focus on what I really love which is writing yeah you know in some of these uh, I've been on tour for two weeks and in some of these audiences I've had, you know, a thousand people, and I've said, when you're young, you spend time, you squander it like drunken sailors because you think you have all the time in the world. It turns out we don't, and stuff that you love to do when you were younger, like writing or composing or dancing that you were good at once or always loved, you're not doing anymore because you're busy, you know, with this stupid, stupid. mostly meaningless stuff. Um, I mean, so much of it meaningless, so much of it racing around, trying to get one more thing done, one more thing done, one more thing done. And I mean, the teenagers are afraid of turning out like us. I mean, I think that's been my 
<laughs> kind of one of my missions is to help teenagers know that you don't have to live like that, that you can sit down and get some work done, write a poem, write a poem for me, write a poem, make them, send you, oh, you better have that poem to me yes. by dinner where there's going to be trouble, and so they do, a little benevolent pressure. But So I had people in these, these rooms turn to each other and say the one thing that they desperately wish they would get back to, that they desperately wish they would start doing again tonight for a half an hour, and you couldn't hear anything for five minutes because it was pouring out of people how much they missed being co-creators on this in this world. Yes. I feel that uh, being creative, finding time for something that you love is so important in handling, you know, depression or anything that you're going through. Right. Yeah. And, and also with dealing with this terror and grief and rage we have right now about yes. the way things are going in our, in our country or our state or our, the world. And one of the things that we do is we take all that stuff and that pain and confusion and we, we write about it, we create with it, we make up songs, we, we, uh, we, we dance with people in wheelchairs, we show up and we hope to help transform it into creativity, which is hope, you know? Yes. Art is hope. It sure is. And um, it's so easy to be flattened and to feel steamrolled. And what you have to do is, is what you love and what always gave you meaning in a second wind before, because it'll give you meaning in a second wind now. You bet. What else would you like listeners to know about your book? Uh, there really is almost every single thing I know about everything, <laughs> about how I wanted my teenage niece to, I wanted to write to her that, uh, write for her that uh, she's just gorgeous and beautiful. She thinks she's way too big and her feet are enormous and, oh. you know, blah, 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 and that she sh- that always the solution for teenage girls is to go on a diet. And I want to tell her diets don't work, that 95% of the time people gain back the weight plus five and that it's an instant solution because it's been brainwashed into us but that you know there's this chapter in the almost everything of that my therapist used to say oh you're going to go on another diet um how much weight are you hoping to gain (laughs) and and she also said it was like putting ice cream on a leg wound you know that the the conviction that we need to go on a diet has to do with self-loathing of the way that we are right now. Mm-hmm. And so the radical act is to rub lotion into the parts of the, your body, your big welcoming tummy oh. or your upper arms or whatever, and to do, it's like the laying on of hands and to accept for today mm-hmm. that you are where you are and that you're deserving of really beautiful and nourishing food. And um, you know that you, you feed yourself the way you would feed your best friend or your pastor. Like I wouldn't invite my pastor over and say, "Look, I got us both our own tubes of Pringles. Why don't we eat standing <laughs> up in the kitchen?" Exactly. If I was inviting her or my best friend over, I'd make something that was delicious and nutritious and pretty to look at. You know, I might yes. put lemon slices on the plate just because they're pretty. Yes, and because I love lemon in my water. <laughs> and um. And so it's really everything I know about writing. There's a long chapter on death for my younger relatives that are so afraid of death. Just, you know, me saying it's not anything like you expect. It will be, there will be so much grace and goodness and healing, even if your person doesn't live. And you're going to be okay and we'll never leave you alone. And um, Beautiful. And it's everything I could think of that I thought might help a little bit here and there. 
Well, you help us all the time. Not only this book, Almost Everything Notes on Hope, but all the others. And I want to thank you so much. Where can people find out more about you, Anne? God, I don't know. <laughs> They're not coming to my <laughs> Maybe house. Maybe they should Google it. There's a <laughs> TED Talk I gave. So if they put in Anne Lamott TED Talk, I think it probably, first of all, it's, it's a 14-minute version of every single thing I know. And it also probably has a little biography there, so and start there. Do you have a website? I should have asked that. I don't. I don't think I do. Okay, that's fine. Uh, are yeah. you on Facebook or anything? Because I'm I, on Facebook, okay. Anne Lamott, and I'm on Twitter at Anne Lamott. I'm not very um, uh, t- telecommunications um, savvy. That's but okay. I know that if you Google um, the TED Talk, it'll, or Facebook or Twitter, it'll take you to, to me. Perfect. And uh, we are in Orange County. I know you're going to be in San Diego on your book yeah. tour and a whole bunch of other places. Um, I believe I put everything up on my show blog, which is getthefunkoutshow.kuci.org. I know we have to wrap. I want to thank you so much for calling in. Thank you so much. I hope everybody has a, a day of feeling safe and and re, uh, refreshed. Thank you so much. And, and able to start over and to pay attention and to take care of themselves and always, always, always to help take care of the poor. Thank you so much. Beautiful. Thank you so much. Congratulations. Okay, have a good day. Thanks. Bye-bye. If you missed any part of this, everything is up on my show blog, getthefunkoutshow.kuci.org. If you want to follow me on Twitter, I'm at moms, M-O-M-Z underscore rock. You've been listening to KUCI 88.9 FM in Irvine.